welcome back to the Sea Breeze podcast, where we contemplate the Christian classics. This podcast is all about reading old books and gaining wisdom from, from past writers that we can learn a lot about from today. Just any cultural blind spots we might have today that we can just learn from others who had different blind spots then, but can speak into our current time. So we're going to read old books. We're going to talk about it. We're not experts, but we love sharing our thoughts. So uh, I'm Eric. And I'm Shane. And today we're still doing City of God. We're on to books three through five today. We got a, a full show. So I hope you guys enjoy. Let's just hop right into it. So Augustine in book three, a theme he's talked about a lot, but is going to develop more here is a, a major critique of pagan theology, the Roman theology, and their whole religious system with all their gods. And remember he one of the reasons he was talking about this is because the pagans wanted to blame the Christians for the fall of Rome. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things he's going to do is critique their religion to show why that's not the case mm -hmm. and why Rome had lots of problems before the Christians showed up. So one of the things he talks about is that the pagans sort of acted like nothing bad had ever happened in the past mm -hmm. before Christians showed up. But now there's Christians here and all these problems show up. And to me, he's, he's hitting on a big theme of basically the importance of knowing the past. So one of the quotes he uses that I really like, he says, these simple souls, referring to pagans, which is kind of savage, but so he says, these simple souls imagine that the abnormal calamities that have occurred in our own day were entirely unknown in the past. Mm -hmm. So basically this idea that there's bad things happening today and that's never happened in the past, so it must all be because of our, our modern issues. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he, the, the cool thing is he, he actually uses their own books and histories against them. He's not just taking his ideas or taking the Bible and, and refuting them. He's taking their own books and saying, look, you have all these problems that you've acknowledged yourself. And this was long before any Christians came onto the stage. Yeah, and in book three, there are 26 chapters worth of examples of just calamity after calamity throughout yeah first i did not i did not read these my abridged version skipped <laughs> all over those so well i didn't read them either i but I, I as i skimmed through them to see like what these chapters were that we were skipping i saw it was just example upon example uh first in greek history and then roman history of just calamities and, and tragedies happening um to these cities and augustine says if if christianity had spread earlier then yeah, they, they would have just blamed Christianity for all of these calamities. Uh, but they, they don't blame anything for them because they happened before Christianity. They don't have anything else to blame. Right. right. And and I think this is, okay, the, the listeners are, might be like, why, okay, why do we care about the pagan religious system? This isn't really relevant today. And that's true in a, in a very real sense. There's not a big pagan contingent out there right now, at least mm -hmm. in America. But... The, the bigger theme he's sitting on, I think, is very important because he's, as we said, he's talking about people kind of just forget the past, that there was ever anything wrong, and then they realize, okay, there's problems now, here's something new, let's just blame it on this new thing, mm. as opposed to critically thinking about the past and how that relates. And I think it's, it's crazy because even in our modern age where everything's on the internet, everything's saved, there's still just like no accountability for what people say hmm. <laughs> in the past. Like think about politicians, think about entrepreneurs, think about anyone. They can say things that are totally crazy, totally wrong. <laughs> and there's just no accountability. Like no one follows up. Um, and, and then I think we get then two camps. People who act like everything in the past was totally great. There was nothing wrong. It was totally rosy. 
and or other people who are the past was horrible it was backwards now we've reached pinnacle of society mm -hmm. now and neither of those are right mm -hmm. they're both wrong we really need an honest assessment of the past and the present but i also mm -hmm. think we need some accountability and that's not going to happen unless we really know our history well mm -hmm. so by accountability do you mean when someone makes a claim about the past that's maybe not correct like about it being all rosy or, or not but people providing accountability and correcting, well, actually, that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Even, I think know. politicians give us a classic example, right? They say, they act like they maybe never changed their stance, um, or they say things, um, you know, if I was in charge, this or that would have happened. Uh, yeah, sure. And if we actually look back at their record or whatever, they didn't yeah. even see that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and there just seems to be no accountability sure, with that. Sure. Um, okay. And then, yeah, again, even back to this, but if there were... If there were problems in that time or or something, they might just completely ignore it sure. and blame it on something else. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I understand now. Okay, so one more thought I had on book three before we move on. So Augustine gives uh, a funny example, and there's a quote I actually want to read because it's, it's just great. It's so savage. I love it. Um, but he talks about how the, the uh, Greeks, one Greek guy in particular, uh, tricked Apollo and Neptune into constructing the city of Troy, uh, building the walls of Troy for them or whatever. And Augustine says, I wonder whether it is a greater crime to worship such persons as gods than to cheat them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of funny, right? So it makes sense. And then he actually gives another example. Um, You're going to put that on your CV, you like tricked Apollo. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. One of my skills. Except not so much because the gods are, you know, dumb oh, anyway, so it's not that impressive <laughs> all right fair enough but the he, the next example he gives is that you know the he says the gods could not be offended by the adultery of paris this crime being so common among themselves Yikes. so the whole like premise of the iliad makes no sense <laughs> <laughs> and it it itself shows how like dumb the roman gods are Yikes. or the greek gods I guess, same thing you know? yeah so yeah so if you can trick a god and then you claim to worship it, which is worse. Mm. Yeah, and that raises an interesting point, too. You know, should the, the true God be a person or being that we can understand mm -hmm. anyway? Yeah. You know, I mean, what we're seeing, the theme we're seeing so far throughout this book is the Greek and Roman gods are, they, they have, like, humanity written all over right, them. Right. They're so human constructed. Because right. they're so full of the, the you know, the wickedness mm -hmm. of humans and... Uh, the, the folly that humans themselves have, you know, shouldn't they transcend us if, if they're real? If they're right. Greater than us? It's so obvious that these gods were merely constructed by man since mm -hmm. they just mirror man so much. And I think this is actually a theme. Here's another way I think this applies to today is I think in a lot of the Christian cults, we see this too, mm -hmm. that the, basically they've taken one of the things that makes Christianity beautiful is there's a certain degree of mystery. God mm -hmm. has revealed a lot, mm -hmm. but he has definitely not revealed everything. Right, right. And I think a lot of the cults, they just take all the mystery out of it. Yeah. They make it super yeah. cut and dry, very black and white, which is appealing to people because especially in, you know, our society, we love answers. Yeah, we yeah. love black and white. But that, it's basically, if, if we can completely comprehend God, that's not much of a God. Sure, sure. <laughs> and That's he, a really interesting idea. I've never actually heard that before. Yeah, well, we were talking to a friend once and they were like, Oh, your guys is just so much more confusing like what mm. we have makes sense and i was like mm. i think that's an advantage to my god yeah, yeah. because we can't put him in a box yeah and even if we think about obviously we believe god became man but even jesus's you know man 
ness, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> it's totally transcends the usual man. Sure. Like, yes, he's a man, but he acts in ways that no other man has. Yeah. So even that is sort of transcending mm. just what humans are, which again, just makes it, makes the point of this wasn't just thought up by some humans. Sure. As opposed to what Augustine is critiquing. Yeah. Yeah. A quote I've heard before that I really like is, if God was small enough that we could understand him completely, he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship him. Yikes. Yep. Mm. I think that's right on. Preach it, Shane. That's good, Shane. Mm. <laughs> Keep it going, Shane. Cool. Well, I think that's it for book three, then. Yeah, nice. So, let's move on to book four. And here, Augustine, he's going to shift gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's going to start talking about true happiness. And Does, I, does your edition use the word felicity? Uh, I think it just talks about happiness. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, mine says felicity over and over again. But I think it's the same thing, right? Okay. Happiness, blessedness. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people take, they think like, oh, happiness, short-term, small, like joy is deep and like, mm-hmm. and, and the Bible and Augustine, they don't really make that distinction. Yeah. Like when he says happiness, he means like deep joy. Mm-hmm. So don't think of happiness as like, I got a good ice cream scoop. No, sure, sure. this is much deeper. So Well, I, I would actually contend that the, the Greeks and Romans would use it that way. Because they, I mean, this is what we're going to get into now, but well, right. <laughs> they they would worship the gods for the sake of getting a good ice cream scoop. <laughs> true, <laughs> so, true. That's the re- that's the the uh, virtue of worshiping the gods. That's true. All right, we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a second. <laughs> Hold your horses, Shane. I mean, I think they're wrong, of course. Right, right. Just to clarify. Um, but yeah, he's going to start talking about happiness. And this is a huge, um, it's a huge Christian theme. It's a huge theme, everything. And mm-hmm. I think later in the book, he talks about basically everyone in life is after happiness. Mm-hmm. That's like the most innate human desire. And people look for it in very different ways and they quote, find it in different ways. Mm-hmm. But I think we know where, where Augustine is going to say you find true happiness. But anyways, a few of the things he talks about with Rome is that he said all Roman happiness was very perilous because mm-hmm. it kind of depended on bloodshed, right? Mm-hmm. It depended on their conquering and that they were all their society was going well, mm-hmm. but that's always kind of on the edge. It, mm-hmm. could, it could fall yeah, at yeah. any point. An example he makes, which I think we all get, is a rich person has, like, so many stresses in the world, right? Mm. Mo' money, mo' problems. <laughs> <laughs> like, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. Yeah. And that was not a quote. That, that was, was not that a quote. That was some modern quote. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> The Jay-Z. super abridged version. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the rich person has all this livestock, all these houses, all these everything that they're just always constantly stressed about. Yeah. And, like, there's really no correlation with super rich and super happy in a lot of ways. Whereas opposed to just the middle class, regular Joe, as, as Augustine would say, has, I mean, they have very real stress in their life, Mm -hmm. but it's, they they can in a lot of ways be a lot more happy with a lot less. Sure. Um, Yeah. It's, I think what he's showing is that it's not necessarily that that's the trend that if you are rich, then you're going to be less happy necessarily, but he's saying it's possible. Definitely. Right. And so it doesn't guarantee or, or directly correlate with happiness. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah, he says, there, so the idea of Rome, being, like the way it's founded on bloodshed and everything, and not correlating to happiness necessarily. But there were two ideas, I think. So uh, it was based on, uh, also the people had a, a cruel lust for bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of, I mean, that's not real happiness, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> that's what they, the, the mood that they had to have to have success, right. you know? Um, and on the other hand, there's this dark fear of the empire shattering yep. at any moment yep. right which you you mentioned right power power any happiness that's derived from power we all know is yeah. very fleeting right, right and if anytime you feel it flipping slipping through your fingers mm-hmm. it's gonna make you right. 
go crazy. Um, another thing he ties this back to, which I think is going to get into the point you were trying to bring up, mm. is why do bad things happen to good people? We've talked mm. about this earlier. And, and the quote he says, so as for their, the pagan god, so as for their subjects, only their villainy can harm them. For whatever injury wicked masters inflict upon good men is to be regarded not as penalty for wrongdoing, but as a test for their virtues. Mm. So when something bad happens to someone, uh, the pagans, as we're going to talk about, they're just going to want to curse God. Why am right. I not getting what I want? Mm -hmm. And he's saying, no, this is a great test for your virtues. Mm -hmm. You get a chance to show how virtuous you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, this is interesting. Uh, just this morning uh, during church, I was talking to my friend Tulsi. And uh, shout out to Tulsi. And <laughs> she was showing me uh, this this uh, excerpt from a book she's reading. It's uh, Letters uh, from Jim Elliott uh, to mm -hmm. his wife, Elizabeth. And he's encouraging her. You want to give a little background on Jim Elliot? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, I actually don't know a whole lot about him. He was a missionary. Yeah. Do, do you know more about him? Uh, yeah, I mean, just the real brief for those of you who okay. don't know. He's, yeah, I think he was 80s probably. But okay. he, yeah, he's an American missionary. He had five other couples. They were, it was somewhere in South America. I can't remember. But they are bringing the gospel mm. to this uh, tribe, these native people. Mm -hmm. And they were all martyred. All five mm. of the men were martyred. And, mm. um his probably most famous quote is he is no fool who gives what he cannot lose to gain, which what he cannot keep. Mm. And so he's just a really, yeah, a very recent martyr. Um, mm. and just very inspirational, influential and inspirational to That's a lot right. of people. Yeah. Influential. There you go. He's very influential. <laughs> to us. Yeah. But anyway, so what was yes. going on in the book? Yes. Yes. So he, he was giving an encouragement to his wife and it was a very, it's, it's not a typical encouragement you would find between two friends nowadays, uh, even in the church. Uh, but he's telling her, you know, don't be afraid of, you know, super paraphrasing, I don't remember mm -hmm. that well, but <laughs> don't be afraid of um, being, you know, persecuted mm -hmm. and suffering for Christ, but count it joy. You know, mm -hmm. he's, he's talking about the, the metaphor Jesus gives of the sheep of, of his pasture. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, the, the sheep, where do they go? Um, they don't go into the, like, in through the gate, uh, into the pasture to uh, just bleat and you know, make noise and just be there and hang out with each other. Yeah. No, they, uh, they end up going to the altar, um, mm. following after their master, yep. after the shepherd. Uh, and so, um, just like Jesus suffered, uh, we should expect to suffer. You know? Yeah. And, and, so it's, an and it's a test, right? He says it, it'll show her, uh, like true glory and joy suffering alongside Jesus. Yeah. And right. We see that over and over in the Bible at Acts. I think it's four where they're persecuted mm -hmm. and they, they rejoice that God counted them worthy to suffer for his right. name. Yeah. And in Hebrew is that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's like mm -hmm. Jesus promised this was going to happen, and he said rejoice in that day because yeah, you're did. building a great reward. So that's really cool. Yes. Um, but obviously, we know a lot easy to say now on a podcast, a lot harder to live out. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so he's he's hitting on this theme again of, of when bad things happen to someone, it really kind of shows their true colors. or And not even their true colors necessarily, but their religion's true colors. Mm. Because again, there's a lot of false religions today that are going to say, and even a lot of false Christian covered religions that mm -hmm. say, you know, when bad things happening to you, you must not have enough faith or you must mm -hmm. be doing something wrong mm -hmm. as opposed to, um, God's going to be growing you through this. It's a test mm -hmm. of your virtues as Augustine said. And again, there's mystery too, right? We don't always know what's going on when God allows us to suffer. It, right. it may not be obvious how we're going to benefit and grow right. from this experience. You know, 
have a loved one who dies or mm-hmm. uh, you're suffering from some disease personally. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's something we see in Job. Mm-hmm. That's the, I think the main point is that we're not in a position to demand from God to explain himself to us. Yes. And, and God's worthy of worship no matter our circumstances. Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes that Augustine says I like a lot about that is, we should not seek and worship God for the sake of the passing cloud of this mortal life, mm. but for the sake of that happy life, which cannot be other than everlasting. This is a big theme for Augustine that we're not worshiping God because of what he can give us now. We're worshiping God because of him and who he is, but also for eternity. Yeah, kind of related. Uh, I also saw so something that struck me a lot was how much weight Augustine pl- places on personal righteousness you know leaving leading a, a good life over having good external circumstances which was very contrary to mm-hmm. what it seems like at least from reading augustine's arguments and uh, reading his writings seems like that's what the the romans like that not their, just the their, romans i think that's all of history ever <laughs> yeah all people I definitely think. still today yeah yes good point good point to the fact that we don't i bet you most people did today don't even know what the word virtue means Virtue versus vice. That, mm. More common then, but I think that even just sums yeah, up the point. I, I mean, I think I didn't know what they meant before. I think it was mere Christianity right. where I learned it. He talks about, you know, the cardinal virtues and the the cardinal vices. Or I guess. <laughs> whatever, the big vices. So Catholic. Yeah. yeah. Well, because he's talking about mere Christianity and what the, you know, traditionally the, the words used. Yeah. You know, yeah, virtue yeah. And vice. Yeah. So I, I didn't know them either. Right. But I think that just speaks to our society, but especially Augustine. So what were you saying about... Yeah, so he says... Uh, so he says the heathen, you know, again, just the savage language. The heathen is more worried about having a bad house than leading a bad life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, li- he sure. literally has that quote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are more pained if their villa is poor than if their life is bad, as though man's greatest good were to have everything good except himself. Mm. Yikes. Interesting. Yikes. But yeah, that's right. We were talking about that. Uh, they're so focused on all these other things mm-hmm. about their physical circumstances or whatever that they just completely forsake their character. Right, and that's why they worship the gods. It, really, it's like it's very unvirtuous of them to to worship the gods. They're worshiping them incredibly selfishly. Yeah. They're just trying to get yeah. good things. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, I want to worship uh, Neptune because I want the I want to catch a lot of fish today, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you know whatever. Right. Right. What what kind of god would would reward that either? You know, sure. going back to this whole yeah, system. the gods are stupid. Man. Yeah, <laughs> the Roman gods are so. Dumb. I guess they were maybe as vain as as the mm. people worshiping them. Mm. Um, Again, the, the wicked human traits are painted upon the right. gods they create. Right. Mm. And another funny thing from this section, which really isn't related to anything else, but it was just funny. We wanted to share it. <laughs> he says, "Without justice." King, again, paraphrasing, kingdoms are basically groups of robbers just robbing each other, Yikes. which is what war is, right? <laughs> so what, what do you mean by that? What did he mean by that? Yeah, so it's, you know, a kingdom is a group of people mm-hmm. band together, kind of like a, a band of robbers, mm-hmm. uh, and they have a prince or a king, yeah. uh, someone who leads the gang, uh, and they say, oh, we're going to have this code of rules that we're going to live by, and then, oh, look at that band of robbers over there. Let's uh, beat them up, and then we, we're the robbers in this yeah. territory, you know, this is our yeah. land. You know, that's kind of true, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he has, a, he has a quote very similar to that that I thought was also kind of funny. He said, uh, whether this is true or not, you know, you be the judge. But a pirate said to Alexander the Great, I do my fighting on a tiny ship and they call me a pirate. 
you do yours with a large fleet and they call you a commander. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, so. Yeah, not really related at all. Just no. Funny. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you know, maybe people think we're big nerds, but I think Augustine's funny, and I think a lot of these old books are really funny when you get I think into it. It's hilarious, yeah. So, you just have to understand the humor yeah. and understand when they're being funny. Yes. Because yes. if you don't realize they're being funny, then it's just awkward or it's it's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right, let's move on to book five then. How about that? Oh, wait. No, I had more in book four. You have more in book four. Yeah, I have a bunch more in book four. Actually, all do right, you so not? No, I'm all out, Shane. <laughs> really? You go. Okay. You got the full version, so go. you've got read at least twice yeah. as much as I did. Oops. I should not do this. It's more work. <laughs> anyway, okay, so interesting idea he poses next. So he questions why not. So, so the idea of the Greek gods, the Roman gods, many different gods, each one some particular, some ownership over some particular aspect of creation and the universe or whatever. Like you have the god of the sea, Neptune. You have the god of... Um, Whatever else, I don't know. Bread, wine. <laughs> yeah, bread, literally everything. Hunting, right? yeah. Yeah, hunting. Uh, and then you have Zeus, uh, Jupiter, Jove, yep. um, as the Romans would call him, who is the king of all of them. Right. And so Augustine asks, why not just worship, if we're seeking happiness or felicity, uh, blessedness, good circumstance, why not just worship the king of all of them? And if, if we worship him and please him by worshiping him, then he'll take care of us. We don't need to worry about all the others. So why not just do that? He's, I think he's the he's showing how dumb the whole system is. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, you could ask that of any polytheistic religion, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Hinduism, or right, right. Uh, why would you just go straight to the top dog? Yeah. Well, why are you? Yeah, and he says, better yet, why not just worship the goddess Felicity herself? <laughs> apparently, <laughs> just want to be happy. Apparently, yes. Because <laughs> who cares about external circumstances? Who cares if you worship? Or don't worship Neptune and then can't catch any fish that day. You're happy, happy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, that's funny. So just worship her. Uh, who cares about the other gods? There you go. So the whole idea of having many different gods, with each of which can benefit you in some certain way if you worship them, is stupid. Right. Right. Case closed. Well said. Well said. Mm. All right. Now, you good with book four? Oh, yeah. no. I have more thoughts. You I got was, more. Yeah. You got more. All right, here we go. Okay. Uh... So, okay, another thought he shares. If, so if the gods were real, and if they were worthy of worship, they would have preserved the Greeks who worshipped them more honorably and worthily than huh. the Romans. Uh, he says that. I don't remember all the details about how they worshipped them more honorably okay. and worthily, but the Greeks died, man. Yeah. <laughs> they got replaced by the Romans. Yeah. Uh, so that didn't work out for them. Yeah, again, using their own histories against them. Yep. To yep. say, okay, these people followed their prescriptions almost to a T, and the mm-hmm. gods could do nothing for them. So either the yeah. gods aren't worthy of worship or they're not real. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So he then starts to go, it starts to contrast this with the one true God. Mm-hmm. Right? So he says, rather, it's the one true God himself. There's not many gods. It's one God who's sovereign over everything. Right. It already kind of makes more sense. If, yes. that, if, that, if that's who God is, how God is, right? Uh, he's the one who ordains the success and failure, the rise and fall, of every kingdom. Mm. And this is something he gets into, I think, over the next few books. You'll have to wait and find out, I guess. Uh, but this is also governed by, you know, the, the, to- the order of the times and the seasons and everything for each kingdom. Yep. It's governed by his own will and wisdom, uh, the reasoning of which is known only to himself. There's yes. that mystery again. Yes. Yeah, who has counseled the Lord? Who mm-hmm. has given him advice? Yeah, how inscrutable his ways. Right. Yeah. Right. And this yeah, much God, more worshipful than warring gods. Right? Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah, no one wars against the one true God, right? Yeah. He's he laughs right. at the nations. Yes. He he mocks and ridicules them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this God, uh, he also says, is able to give the gift of felicity or happiness to any man, whether prince or peasant, uh, by enabling him to possess that felicity. Wow. Uh, so it's really you know, he even appeals a little bit to the selfishness of men. It says, well, if you do want true happiness, true felicity, look to the right source. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, uh, there's a certain selfishness you can get away with in being a Christian yep. and worshiping the one true God. Because right. you're going to be happy if you worship him. Right. Because well, that's what you were made for. And, and Jesus, I think, has no problem with that. Whenever he yeah. gives a command or gives a advice or whatever, he appeals to like three or four different reasons to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like, okay. Mm-hmm. You should love God, so you should do this. This would be the selfless thing to do. Mm. But hey, I'll give you rewards in heaven. Yeah, you know he has <laughs> right. no problem appealing to different. Right. Th- and he's given us, he's given us the desire to be happy. He's given us the mm-hmm. desire to be known, mm-hmm. and he knows that our true happiness found in God will a make us happy, most happy, mm-hmm. and b bring God the most glory. Right, they're not right. at odds, which yes, is yes. which is amazing because they could yeah. be. God could have set it up that they were, mm-hmm. but they're not at odds. Yeah, that's something I, I've wrestled with a lot. Uh, well, not recently, more like earlier um, when I first became a Christian and before I was a Christian. Um, and something I think, you know, a lot of people wrestle with mm-hmm. is why would, you know, God, it seems weird and selfish and conceited for God to create a bunch of beings to just sit and worship him. Yeah. <laughs> but they're getting the wrong idea of worship and praise and yep. glorifying. Really, it's created them to know him and be known so that they can have joy right. uh, along with him and fellowship with him. Yeah. Right. So if we were made to to see him and how amazing and beautiful and glorious he is and then to just marvel at him and and be in awe uh, for eternity that's like really awesome of him to do yeah. for us you know like thank you <laughs> i right. want i want an eternity of that right right because we're we're so used to people in this earth who want praise and it's just gross mm-hmm. because they don't deserve it mm-hmm. they're demanding mm-hmm. about it but it's totally different with god He's mm. not just a man with a little different powers. Mm. It's actually to our benefit to worship right. him. And anything yeah. less than that would be wrong of God to ask us to do because yes, yes. it wouldn't be for our benefit. Right. And and I think that shows why, you know, when we seek our own glory, when we try to, you know, talking about false gods, our, what are our modern false gods? You know, our modern idols are, you know, trying to be glorified by men. Yeah. Uh, and so when we're trying to be praised and glorified ourselves instead of letting it go to God, then we're twisting the nature of things yeah. and it's just not going to work out well. Yeah. And it's, it puts you at odds with everyone else because other people will want the glory for themselves. But when, when everyone is properly turning to God to glorify him and praise him, then everyone is at peace with one another. Mm. Have shalom. Amen. And everyone's has true felicity. Amen. And he's going to talk a lot, a lot more about that uh, in, in later books, which I think we'll hit on next episode. So definitely come back to this theme. That was it for so done. book four. Nothing else to add? For book four. Nothing yeah. else to add? Shane? I have more things. You're done with book four? <laughs> I am. <laughs> oh, wait. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to bring us to book five then. Okay. And I want to start by something that you just sort of talked about um, mm. that I want to hit on, that this, th- this book is about some great classic Christian topics. Free will, fate, divine providence, mm. big, big topics. And Juicy. It's juicy. So Shane, you were talking about the that divine providence alone explains the establishment of kingdoms. Mm-hmm. So I just have a few uh, things from scripture that support this. So in Acts 17, mm-hmm. Paul is preaching, actually, you know, ironically, to the Greeks. 
in Athens. And he says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. And we see this in the Old Testament too. Daniel in Daniel 2 says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So it's it's crystal clear in scripture. If there's a king, good or bad, that, and that's kind of hard for a lot of people to swallow, but good or bad king, it's only because God has appointed him. And I think for for kings, that needs to be very humbling. Like if you're going to be a good ruler, you need to humbly acknowledge, well, I'm only in this position because God's placed me here. Yeah. I think I'll lead to a lot better rulers <laughs> if yeah, they sure. recognize that. They're stewards. Right. So, yes, divine providence alone explains the establishment of kingdoms among men. And and this has a lot of other ramifications. Mm-hmm. So one, one of the things he talks about, he, he's really funny too about uh, fate. He's like, don't use the word fate. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you can sort of mean it in the right way, but it gives weird connotations. Yeah, it makes you think about the stars and astrology. Right. And, at least in his day. Right. I don't think of that when I right. think fate. I think though... <laughs> I think of happenstance. Yeah, I'm sure. sure. Like, I don't know. But he, he gives a really funny example of why that it's such a bad idea. So the, a lot of people then, and some people still today, but more than, believe like the alignment of the stars, right? Mm-hmm. Are you a Leo? Are you a Capricorn? I don't even know all the, yeah. all the zodiac signs. Gemini. But, Gemini, there you go. That's what I am. Are you a Gemini? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's like, here's an example of why this is so, such a bad idea. Just look at twins. Their lives often turn out so differently. They couldn't have been born under more similar circumstances. And you can have male and female twins. And you can have male and female A brother and sister who are twins. Right. So I think we can all say stars and fate. It's like, come on guys, let's, let's get rid of this. To be fair, he shares uh, an argument from like some mathematician, philosopher dude. Uh, of his day, who says he, he uses the I, the analogy of a wheel that's spinning really fast, okay. and if which you know could be like the Earth revolving around the Sun mm-hmm. or spinning or whatever. So the position of the stars is changing kind of quicker than we realize, and so this small mo- like if so back to the wheel, the wheel's spinning, and you you put two tacks in it twice, like back to back immediately, rapid mm-hmm. fire. Yeah, but if it's spinning really fast, they're going to be kind of far apart. Yeah, and so he shows that, but. I don't know, it's still goofy. <laughs> yeah, no matter what, he's not a proponent of the the, yes, yes. the zodiac signs. Sorry, but checkmate astrology. There you go. But yeah, so th- this opens up a much bigger discussion, which I'm sure this will not be the end of in this episode, in this podcast. But he's going to talk about a lot more through the book. But how do Christians then reconcile free will and divine providence? Mm. And it's really interesting because I think, Shane, we were both saying that there's a lot of things he talks about that we were like, whoa, I don't, that's not what I thought he believed. Because I, when I think right. of Augustine, I think of, you know, hard determinism, yes. predestination, election. Yes. And I am pretty sure he believes Dante in those things. And I think <laughs> we're going to get to that later in the book. But he says things like, you know, nor are we, being Christians, nor are we dismayed by the difficulty mm-hmm. that what we choose to do freely is done of necessity. Because he mm-hmm. whose foreknowledge cannot be deceived for knew what we would choose to do it. Mm-hmm. So he's mm-hmm. saying... Yeah, we had these choices, but God foresaw them. Therefore, kind of free will and God's uh, foreknowledge can go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. 
basically he's trying to explain how Christians can acknowledge free will and the foreknowledge of God. The fact is that our choices fall within the order of the causes, which are known for certain to God and are contained in his foreknowledge. Um, which again, this seems a little different than probably what I was expecting coming in. Right. Yeah. Same here. I thought he was going to be much harder on, you know, predestination side, but he, something, so the, the main statement that surprised me is where he says that the wills of men are not from God. Uh-huh. Uh, and in particular, you know, he then says that, uh, the wills of evil men are evil wills because they're contrary to nature and therefore contrary to God. Those are not from God either. Um, and that, that surprised me. I thought he was going to say they are. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We're going to have to keep reading and people mm-hmm. are going to have to keep listening because I think, I don't think the story is going to end here for him. Um, but yeah, just a little more on this. So he talks a lot about some of the other contemporaries are a little bit older than him what their thoughts were on this. And so one person he talks about a lot is Cicero, who's mm-hmm. a very famous Roman. Uh, I think he was a little bit before Augustine, or maybe a lot before. Yeah, a little before. I think within a century, though, okay. I think. Okay. And so Cicero, he rejected the foreknowledge of events from God mm-hmm. because he feared the implications it would have on society. Basically, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. If, if God foreknew everything and predestined everything, then... No one can get mad at me for robbing a bank yeah. or cheating on my wife or yeah. doing anything. Because, well, God foreknew it. Mm-hmm. And so Augustine then says, to make men free, he made them give up God. Yeah. And and this is, like, I think, a classic thing people still say um, uh, against, like, Reformed or Calvinist theology of, well, like, I just, I had to do it. God predestined it. And... And that's just not how it works. Because one example I like to think about is when someone was robbing a bank, they weren't like thinking, oh, I'm really honoring God and fulfilling his plan when I rob this bank, right? They were just fulfilling their selfish motives. Yeah. And and I think there's a really cool example in Acts. I don't have the exact quote here, but basically he he's saying that, yes, you fulfilled God's plan and you also like sought what you wanted to do. And so you can't just blame your problem or whatever that you chose to do and desire to do on God who foresaw it. Who is Paul talking to here? I don't remember who is <laughs> It doesn't Paul. ring a bell. <laughs> it's somewhere in Acts. We'll have to get the... Is the it Philemon and Onesimus? It might be. So he says, like, because Onesimus ran away from Philemon. I don't think and... it's that one. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Then. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Maybe I'll find it later, but... Because he, he words it in... Tra- I mean, that's another example, though, right? Yeah. So Philemon was, like, he owned servants or slaves. Yeah. Onesimus was one. Both of Onesimus ran away. Yep. And then both of them became Christians separately. Oh, right, right. And they both knew Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, like, Onesimus ran into Paul and most likely became a believer through Paul's ministry. Yep. And then he sends Onesimus back to Philemon to be reconciled oh, right, together. Right. And he tells Philemon, or rather, he does he refuses to command Philemon, but encourages him in Christ yeah. to do what he ought, yep. which is to accept Onesimus not as a slave, but as a brother. Yep. Uh, and... So he sends it back to Rexall, but at one point he words it where he says, perhaps this is why Onesimus was separated from you. Uh, he doesn't yeah. put it in like Onesimus's choice. He yep. almost words it as, perhaps this is why God ordained for Onesimus to choose to leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Kind of funny. Right. And, and yeah, that's a great example. Or if you think about Pharaoh and Exodus, Pharaoh, it's, mm. in my opinion, and I think it's pretty clear biblically, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. 
Mm-hmm. That God's the, the actor who's making Pharaoh's heart hard. People aren't comfortable with that, but we have to remember Pharaoh isn't, when he was saying, no, I won't let the people go, mm-hmm. he wasn't thinking, I'm really honoring God. He's thinking, mm-hmm. I'm acting for myself. I want my people to stay. I'm doing that. Right. So yes, he happens to fulfill God's plan. Mm-hmm. And same with the people who killed Jesus. They were not thinking they were honoring God, but they mm-hmm. were fulfilling God's plan. So it's no excuse. We can't just blame God's sovereignty right. on all of our problems. And I think that's the beauty of you know all of these examples the one in Exodus in particular, Pharaoh, the it's almost poetically shown in the text that I think three times Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Yeah. It, that's the, the way it phrases it. Yeah. And then three times God hardens his heart. Yeah. And then I think the last time again, the seventh time, like God hardens his yeah. heart again or something. It's like a final hearted. Right. So it shows, I think the, the, the it, I call it poetic because I think it's showing like kind of through the symmetry of the numbers, the three and the three, and then the ultimate and final yep. hardening, that both are at work evenly. Right. So Pharaoh's hardening his own heart, and God is also hardening Pharaoh's right. heart. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the point. Right. And and I think on this foreknowledge topic too, that this is kind of a simple point, but he says the fact is that one who does not foreknow the whole of the future is most mm-hmm. certainly not God. Yeah. So if somehow you want to have free will or something without the foreknowledge of God, that is no God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a God who doesn't know the future is certainly not God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he just wants to argue that, at least at this point, and again, we need to, I think, take into account all the things he said, because he said a lot of things uh, in all his writings. But mm-hmm. basically here that Christians can believe in free will and foreknowledge. Yes. yes. Yep, yep. Yeah, Cicero said, I think Cicero is an atheist um, based on this, you know. Right. And he said, uh, if there is no free will, the whole economy of human life is subverted. In vain are laws enacted. In vain are reproaches, praises, exhortations, uh, all, you know, given recourse to. And so God cannot exist because free will must exist. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Yeah, Augustine argues that he, he kind of takes as an axiom, at least in, as we see it here presented yep. by him, that both exist. Right. He just postulates, well, asserts rather, yep. yeah. <laughs> that free will exists because we know it must. Right. <laughs> it's just, you know, we have free will. And then if God is real, which we believe him to be, yeah. then he must have foreknowledge of all events. Um, and he does, I mean, he provides a little bit of reasoning to it. He says, so he argues that our wills themselves are included in that order of causes, which is certain to God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if all future events that God has foreknowledge of, it's all cause and effect actions, mm-hmm. right? And the wills are involved in that. Human actions are a result of our wills. The wills are the cause and the actions are the effect mm-hmm. in that sense. And so God knows his... Um, all the the order of causes and effects of that happen, he does, right? then uh, it's all certain to him. Since human wills are the causes of human actions, uh, he knows what our wills are. Right. Also, right? Yep. And he knows our actions, and so he, yeah, he would know all those things. And he can have foreknowledge without necessarily causing our wills to be a certain way. Yeah, and that's I guess TBD. We need to still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so far, that seems to be what he's saying. It does. It does. We'll see. And, and I think this ties into our earlier discussion of this there is some mystery clearly going on here because like we said we like it seems like okay i could have my coffee with cream or not like it seems like i have that decision Mm. um 
but it also, especially in scripture, seems clear that, you know, if disaster comes upon a city, hasn't the Lord caused it, mm -hmm. as it so the name is. Mm -hmm. And so there's a mystery here. If it was so clear, black and white, that's probably not a God worthy of worship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, and I, the way that C.S. Lewis talks about it, um, of course, you had to bring up CSD. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it wouldn't be an episode. I was hoping you wouldn't call me out. Uh, it's going to just keep happening. Yeah, so we know. I have to get used to it. <laughs> uh, but he, so he uses the, uh, you know, the analogy of a play or a book. Okay. Uh, so God is the author or the playwright, and we're the characters. And so, he, you know, in, in a play, the characters have wills, um, and they act based on those wills. And so, according the, the way C.S. Lewis argues and, and puts it is that God ordains it all to be that way, but it is nonetheless within that, you know, ordination, mm -hmm. our wills are what they are, right? Whether he caused them to be that way when he first set things in motion in creation. Um, but there's also, I mean, I think I personally am kind of, I don't know. I, I don't have all the, the right definitions articulated and everything. I don't usually <laughs> go uh, to those and like really, formulate it uh, very technically or officially. But I think if I had to pick one, I would side most with Molinism. Uh, Cop-out answer is what you're saying? No, I don't <laughs> think so. I think it's, I mean, it makes sense, right? So the idea is that... Yeah, explain that to, uh, to all of us. Okay, yes. Molinism. So God created everything in the beginning, and he created um, with it the... Like, like, whenever he set things in motion, he foreknew what our wills would be at given moments throughout the history of yeah. things, right? Um, from beginning to end. And so he knew what those wills would be, and he could have, you know, if, if you think of the initial creation event, or Big Bang, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. uh, as like this single event or moment where it kicks off, he kicked it off in such a way that things would follow a certain path. Yeah. But within that, and I think this is consistent with the ideas put forth by Lewis that he, he set it off a certain way, kicked it off a certain way so that we would all have certain wills and therefore perform certain actions, right. make certain choices so that it would play out a certain way. Right. So it, it is, so he foreknew it all. He also ordained, chose for it all to happen a certain way. But nonetheless, within that ordination, we have free will and we act based on those things. Right. I don't know. Does that, does that, is that contradictory or is that, is, is there a fallacy there? Is if God is ordaining our wills to be a certain way, does that automatically take away the meaning of our will being free? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the reason this discussion gets so tricky is because we have to define what will is, we have to define what free will is, mm -hmm. desires, like, you know, where do these desires come from? All these things. So it's, uh, I think that's what makes it so complicated yeah. all right so we have about three more hours let's figure it out uh, <laughs> shane might if you only hear shane the next three hours you know i'm long gone <laughs> yeah i i would say conversely i would um I, i'm still learning about it but i would definitely put myself more of a reformed calvinist camp um and i think i think the that gets a, a bad rap a lot um by people who don't believe in it but i think the thing to remember is things like predestination or even like God setting up the kings or whatever. Mm. They can sound like these really scary terms and, mm. um, and fear, but, but someone said Calvinism is uh, a sheep 
in wolves clothing <laughs> so it looks really scary but when you get into it it's actually extremely comforting mm. this idea that before the foundation of the world before i did anything good or bad god loved me and mm. god chose me is extremely comforting mm. because it knows okay when i had a bad day or my faith is low like that has nothing to do with god's selection of me mm. that had nothing to do it is so clearly god's grace mm. that it was before we did anything good or bad yeah. so I, I think that and that's something i think I'm still working on a lot of things. It's not just, this isn't just some head knowledge. Like this really is going to affect our, our hearts. Um, so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind in this discussion too, is that it's, it's very pastoral. It's very comforting to the heart, mm -hmm. these doctrines too. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, we were in God's hands from the beginning. Those of us who know him or will one day know him. Right. Uh, if you don't know him today, you know, maybe right. you will one day. Right. But those of us who do, we've been in a sense from the beginning when he first had the idea of, creating us right right i heard that uh in romans you know it says those whom he foreknew he also predestined mm. those whom he predestined he also called those whom he called he also justified mm. those whom he justified he also glorified i was hearing that 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 first foreknew uh arminians would love to say look yeah he foresaw that we believe and then he predestined us because that's mm. kind of the arminian take that mm. god foresaw faith and then therefore predestined you mm. um but really that was i, I was learning is more of he set his love on you so, because in the Bible, know is a very intimate term, right? Yeah, Adam knew yeah. Eve, they right. knew, it was a deep thing. So, that those who he foreknew, it's those who he set his love on. Mm. Those are who we predestined. Mm. So, I think that's really beautiful. I think that's really comforting as opposed to, yeah, my great faith, like, I have this faith and because of that, God chose me. Mm. To me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Sure. So. Yeah. I'm with you. Do you have any, do you have like 10 more points on this? I am or, done. You're done? I'm done with all my notes for books three through five that's good and we should all give shane an extra round of applause he didn't uh he didn't talk about any other random authors too much didn't <laughs> just see us lose and that's another a, author but not a random author yeah there you go <laughs> he's always gonna come up he's just, always gonna come up yeah yeah well and so just on this on this point i just want to close um just with one another extended quote i think this will probably be a theme going forward just mm. an extended quote from augustine and so i'll just read it in its entirety here I have already said something of the general blessings of God, which in the natural course of things come to the good and to the bad alike. However, beyond this bounty, he has reserved for the good a special sign of his great love. We can never sufficiently thank him for the gifts of nature, that we exist and are alive, that we can enjoy the sight of the earth and sky, that we have a reasoning mind by which we can seek him who has made all things. Yet for the greater gifts of grace, there are not hearts enough or tongues enough in all the world even to try to thank him. For when we were burdened and broken by our sins, and our minds were turned from his light and blinded by the love of the darkness and iniquity, he did not leave us to ourselves, but sent to us his word, who is his only son, so that by his birth and passion in the flesh, he assumed for our salvation. We might learn how highly God esteemed our human nature, and that we might be cleansed from all our sins by his unique sacrifice, and by his spirit have love poured into our hearts, so that with all our warring over, we might come to everlasting rest in the supreme blessedness of gazing on his face. So yeah, that's the that's the real hope that we cling to. That's the real love. And so I hope that's encouragement to you. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll be back again next week. <laughs>